0: Well, by way of inter- introduction to this series, we're, we're starting a four-week series. So if you're a guest, I want to just give a little bit of background on this. We spent uh, a, quite a while uh, going through the book of Acts, and we just ended that last week. And now we're starting a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. And so why, why are we doing uh, a four-week spirit, uh, series on the Holy Spirit? Well, as we started walking through the book of Acts, it became very clear to us that what was happening in the book of Acts was the work and act of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So many times we'd read a passage and say, and the Holy Spirit led them or empowered them or emboldened them or the Holy Spirit did this or the Holy Spirit did that. And as we started uh, just talking as a leadership team, we just said, you know, I think that our people, really, if we were to press in on who is the Holy Spirit, what does he do, what's the role in in your life as a believer— Many of us would be, have a lot of vagueness around that. We wouldn't have a lot of specifics of, of the role of the Holy Spirit. And so we said, let's do a deep dive into who the Holy Spirit is and be able to uh, see that there, there is a gap when we look at the, the book of Acts and we see the early church. And then we look at the church today. There's a gap, if we're honest, of how come they're experiencing this level of community. And in Acts 17, it says they turned the world upside down. Is anyone saying that about us? Are are, are they looking at us and saying, man, that church over there, they are turning the world upside down. I want that to be true of us, but we need to really understand what is partnership with the Holy Spirit look like? Who is he? Um, how do we apply what we understand about the Holy Spirit to our lives? And so that's what we're going to be doing over the, the four weeks. This, um, this morning is an introduction, so I'm going to be laying the foundation uh, from John 14 through 16, those passages. And I'm laying a foundation, and then Lloyd is going to talk a little bit more specifically Next week, of how do we apply what we're learning about the Holy Spirit? But as a way of introduction into the Holy Spirit, I want to just ask you guys when you were growing up, if you grew up in church or if you didn't grow up in church, when you heard uh, the Holy Spirit or how was the Holy Spirit talked about? I want you just to throw out some words or phrases or vagueness or I don't really understand the Holy Spirit, whatever you want. Just how was the Holy Spirit understood when you were growing up? A little louder. Helper. Comforter. Comforter. Ever-present. Ever present. Mysterious. Mysterious. Anyone have any weird ones? Like you heard ghost and you're a little freaked out. Okay, I'm, I, that's me. Okay, so I heard like holy ghost. Is like what? Is this like Casper the ghost like coming around? Like it kind of creeped me out as a kid to be, to be quite, quite honest. Um, so many of us, like some of you, had some really healthy understandings of who the Holy Spirit was. That I'm grateful for. Some of you, like you grew up and it was, just like, it was like, is the Holy Spirit like the spirit of Christmas? Like, you know, and then you watch like Ebenezer Scrooge and you get even more confused about that. Um, but I want to I think about it in this way. The Holy Spirit, um, in, in my observation, especially when I was in seminary doing church history studies, the way that I think that uh, sometimes we have reservations of even talking about the Spirit, or some of you might even have some resistance this morning of like, okay, are we going to become one of those churches? Like we're the whole, you know, like we have some reservations in there. And one of the ways that I think that has happened is that we've kind of, as a church, fallen off the horse on one or two sides. One or the other, not one or two sides, the, the one or the other. And, and here's the here's two sides. One is, I think we can start to look at the Holy Spirit as a power source something that you need to like plug into or harness. And so you hear churches talking about like asking the Holy Spirit to like do something that's like a power. It's almost like they want to plug into something or harness the power of the Holy Spirit. Typically, this would be more charismatic type churches. And and they're, and they're talking about the Holy Spirit kind of as an it, but more specifically described as a power source. Okay, then you come over to the church really that I grew up in. And when you, when you think about this is my systematic theology book, if anyone wants to borrow it. Um, it's really like, it's like the Holy Spirit, it, there's a lot of vagueness about the Holy Spirit. The only times you really heard about the Holy Spirit was when someone was being pronounced when they were being married. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or someone was baptized. And it was really a doctrine that I was supposed to know that he's part of the Trinity, but do we ever talk about his role in our lives or anything. No, it's it's just kind of like something to know and kind of this this kind of cool doctrine. So what I want to talk about this morning is if we are looking at the scriptures and asking, okay, who is the Holy Spirit? I want to be very clear that we're not talking about the Holy Spirit just as a power source, a a tool or utility to be used. And we're also not talking about a doctrine that just feels cold and just something to know. We're talking about who is the Holy Spirit as a person of the triune God, as a person uh, of the Trinity And so J.I. Packer says this, the average Christian deep down is in a complete fog as to what the work of the Holy Spirit does. Some talk of the Spirit of Christ in the way that some would talk about the Spirit of Christmas as a vague cultural pressure making up for religiosity. Most don't even think of the Holy Spirit at all. And if we're being honest, I think that's most of us in this room. So today we want to look at the person of the Spirit, the person uh, of, this, of this triune God. He is not a third rank in the Trinity, but he is co-equal, sharing in all the glory and honor that God deserves. He is not an impersonal power, but he is personal in every way. And I just want to make this statement. If you're taking notes, I want to make this statement. This is where I'm going to unpack for us. But the life that God calls you to is not just hard, it's impossible without him. The life that God calls you to is not just hard, it's actually impossible without him, and that is why He's given us the Holy Spirit. So awareness of our need for the Holy Spirit and dependence on Him is where we hope to go. So this morning uh, I'm going to be looking at the what is called the Paraclete passage, and I'll explain what that means in just a minute, but John 14 through 16. So if you're familiar with John 14 through 16, you can turn to John 14 uh, in your Bibles. if you have them, if you don't, there's one in your seat backs. And John 14 through 16 is where we just came off of Easter, uh, the Passion Week. So this is where Jesus is taking his disciples. They're in the upper room, and they're celebrating Passover with his disciples. Okay, that's, that's the picture that I want you to have in mind of where this discourse of John 14 through 16 is actually happening. It's happening in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples. Uh, many of us would call this the last meal or the last supper. And so In John 14 through 16, Jesus is is now sitting down with his disciples. In the next 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. He'll be on the cross. And so you can imagine what he is going to say to his disciples is going to be of the utmost importance. Someone that knows they're going to die and has 24 hours left isn't talking about the weather. They're talking about the most important things that his disciples would need to know before he leaves. So the disciples are gathered around the table and they have three years ago decided to give up everything and follow after this man to believe and trust that this man was the Messiah. And so they give up everything to follow him and then Jesus is gonna lay out some of the worst news that they're ever gonna hear. He is gonna say it at, the, at the meal, he's gonna say, one of you is going to betray me. He's going to say to them, Peter, you will deny me three times. Then he's going to say, all of you around this table are going to desert me. So if that's not bad enough, you're like sitting around this meal, celebrating Passover, Jesus kind of wah, wah, wah. You know, it's just kind of that kind of, kind of mood that Jesus is setting. Then he brings the worst news of all and he says, I'm leaving you. So this one that they put their hope in and Judas, in, in, in a lot of ways, he gets up from the table after this and, and he leaves. And why, why, why is that? Well, they were thinking that Jesus was actually going to bring his physical kingdom and take over Rome and set up rule and shop right there. And Jesus is saying, not only, this is kind of the hammer blow here, not only can, am I leaving you, but you can't come where I'm going. So you just think about this. Put yourselves around this intimate last meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. I want you to experience what are, what are they feeling in this moment? I mean, sadness, grief, confusion. What are you talking about? What do you mean? You know, what I mean, like, just imagine yourself. You've given up three years of your life, put your hope and trust in this man, and he is then saying, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And so we're sitting at this table, and the disciples, I have to imagine, are just crushed. And this is where our passages are going to come in, in the upper room at this intimate meal with the disciples having received this bad news after bad news. So let's pick up in John 14 through 16. Let's read, uh, read along in this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and will be in you. Okay, so let's unpack this. That word helper is the Greek word parakletos, which is the word we get, a compound word paraclete. So if you've ever heard of the paraclete passages, this is, these are the John 14 through 16. It's a compound word kaleo means to call and para means alongside. So if you put those together, it is the one who is called to come alongside. So scholars Uh, agree in this sense that this word paraclete is actually a really hard word to translate to get the fullness of what we're talking about here. So as I was reading, you may have a different translation and if you may have had a counselor, uh, some of you had helper, advocate, comforter. That's why even going around in this room, you you heard those different kind of comforter, counselor, those different words expressing it. And they're expressing the same idea. Theologian Barclay helps us in the essence of this word. And he said that the paraclete, the helper, is always someone who is called in to come alongside on behalf of someone. So we put it in these terms. Called in to bear witness for someone in court. Called in to advocate on someone's behalf. Called in to plead a cause. Called in to advise or give counsel to, called in to strengthen and encourage. So you see that the Holy Spirit is called in as a helper to be on our behalf. He writes, Always a perikletos is someone called in to help in time of need or trouble. And that fits the disciples here as they're talking. Two things we take from this passage. The first thing, based on the description of the Paraclete, the helper, is the paraclete a thing like this book or this podium, a power source like this extension block, or is it a person being called in? Which one do we have? A person. So the first thing that we we can conclude from just this passage, that a person, now I don't want you to underappreciate this. I want you to kind of unpack this a little bit. A person is a living being. A power or thing is a lifeless object a person it has mind affections will desires throughout the new testament you see the uh, the holy spirit willing things you see the holy spirit being grieved you see the holy spirit desiring things and so the holy spirit fits the description of a per, of having personhood a power or thing is just again a lifeless object a person is made for relationship a power or thing is made to be used a person has value in its being. Power or thing, there's value only in its utility. So you see that even just in this first two verses, we're starting to separate out, again, who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to be building out a list of nine things today. So if, you want to, if you're a list maker, I'm going to give you just write one through nine, and I'm going to kind of build out this list of who the Holy Spirit is from these passages. But again, the prepositions with— And in, tell us this, this person, the person, the helper that is going to come is not just going to be alongside of the disciples and the followers of Jesus to come, but he's going to be where? In. 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 So we have have some distinction that's starting to happen that this helper is not just going to be coming alongside of us, but is actually going to be in us forever. So if you're taking notes, let's build out this list one and two. The helper is a person. The helper is a person. And the helper is with us and in us. Okay, so that's the first one. If you want to write down uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, this is an Old Testament prophecy talking about this very thing that Jesus is unpacking, that the, the Spirit is going to come and he's going to take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they actually can walk in the ways of God. So he's, he's prophesying, Ezekiel's prophesying about this day that Jesus is talking about right here, where the Spirit's not just going to be with them, but is actually going to dwell in his people john fourteen twenty five through twenty six is the second passage we 're going to look at so we 're going to stay right in John uh, chapter fourteen twenty five and twenty six let 's read what those verses said these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, now we're, now we're getting a little bit more detail. Who is the Helper? The Helper is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father in the name of the Son. So sent from the Father in the name of the, of the Son, meaning he's, the Holy Spirit is sent in the character, in the person, and in the work of the Son. So, we now are in this reality of the Trinity. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit talked about in these passages, all working together as one to accomplish the same work and task. So, you have the Father sending the Son. You have the Son now doing what? Sending the Holy Spirit in the name of the work and character of what He has been doing. So, now we're in the realm of the Trinity. So this is a trinity that our God is one God in three persons, one in essence, three in person. The Father is not the Son nor the Spirit. The Son is not the Father nor the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but the Father, Son, and Spirit are equally, eternally, and fully God together. If your brain doesn't hurt trying to figure out how that happens, it's a mystery of how that happens. But I, I, I want us to wrestle with that as the Bible reveals this, not dismiss or, or bring down. But any concept other than what the Scriptures are talking about here is making God into our own image or how we want Him to be, and that's making God an idol um, into our own understanding. That is not the triune God of the Scriptures. He's big. He is mysterious. There, there is a little mystery in this. So the three things we take away from this text, let's, let's review a little bit. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us the words of Jesus. Thomas Torin says, For in the Holy Spirit, God acts directly upon us himself. And in giving us the Holy Spirit, God gives us nothing less than himself to us. Isn't that a beautiful word picture? God, in giving the Holy Spirit, gives him nothing less than himself to us. Now, let's be careful how we apply these words. Jesus is talking to the original 12. So when it says that he's going to bring to mind what I have said, who is he talking to? He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to the disciples. Now, how did we get the New Testament? through these men sitting at the, at the table. And many times when we, th- when we think about how was the New Testament written, well, it wasn't that they were following Jesus around with like notes as we had. Maybe they didn't have their iPad making, making dictations. Like, How did they write the New Testament? Well, is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind the very words of Jesus and that they're communicating the very words of Jesus to us in the Scriptures. So that's immediate application for us. But however, now we have in a very real sense, we have the words of Jesus. And so when we are talking about the Holy Spirit bringing the words of God, bringing the words of Jesus to our lives, how does that happen? Well, it happens by you reading and meditating on this and then the Holy Spirit using God's word to bring to to your mind and bring to your awareness what he has said in the scriptures. And so that's immediate application for us of how we got the scriptures, but also then how God uses the scriptures. In order for us to have the Holy Spirit bring to mind what God has said in his word, we need to know what his word says. And we need to be regularly in this, but also being mindful of having the words affect our minds and our hearts. We need to get the word uh, in us. Let's look at John 15, 26 through 27 for our next passage on who the Holy Spirit is. John 15, 26 and 27. If you haven't read John 15, 1 through 17, I would highly recommend you come back this week and do that. Verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also. Because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, this is getting a little bit more clear. What specifically is the work of the Spirit? What is the Spirit going to do? Well, the Spirit is going to testify about who? Jesus. The Spirit, one of the main things that the Spirit is going to do is testify about Jesus. Then the Spirit proclaims, speaks, and explains Jesus. Now, Jesus includes a command imperative for his followers and for us today. What does he say? He says, you will tell. That's a command imperative. You will tell, proclaim, and speak, and explain me to others. So the work of the Spirit is doing what? Testifying about Jesus. And then anyone who has the Holy Spirit in them, what is the work that they are now given? To proclaim the very work and character and redemptive good news of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is doing what inside the believer? He's testifying of who Jesus is and proclaiming the work of Jesus. And then what does the Holy Spirit do in a believer, as someone who's following after Jesus? The same work, he, the same work that the Holy Spirit is doing, we're partnering together so we can now testify and proclaim the good news of Jesus, what he has done in us and what he wants to do in others. So let's continue building out this list. The helper is a person the helper is with us and in us. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells others about Jesus, and so do we. Now, John 16, 7, if you want to turn over there, that is going to be uh, our next passage that we're going to look at in these paraclete passages this is the fourth paraclete passage that we come from the Upper Room Discourse. John sixteen seven. But I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now this one uh, I want to unpack and spend a little bit more time on because this one has huge implications for us uh, today and for them as well. Now, every time that Jesus speaks, does he say, truly, truly, I say to you. So what, why does he use that word? Why is he using that? He's not saying, hey, everything else was just kind of a lie. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, this has eternal significance and importance. So anytime you hear Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you, he is bringing a weight to his words of saying, hey, listen up, pay attention to what I'm saying. So at so he goes in and he says likewise there's no simple way in the minds of the, the disciples Jesus is leaving and how what does Jesus say I'm leaving but it's for your good it's for your advantage Now how many of you, the disciples if they were to take a vote and they were to say hey Jesus um we took a vote as the disciples and we uh we just want to say uh we we just want to say we um we We don't really agree with what you're saying here. We actually think it would be better for you to stay with us. Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to go, and it's for your good. Listen to a couple other translations. The New Living Translation says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. John sixteen seven in the New International Version. But I, truly, I tell you, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The message, Peterson's paraphrase translation says, so let me say it again, this truth. It is better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So Jesus going means someone is coming who is better and best for your good. Let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us or alongside of us. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us or alongside or next to us. Now, if I was to put a vote to you in this room, how many of you, in your understanding of the Holy Spirit and your experience, how many of you would say, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one, Jesus, because I really think I'd rather have you walking alongside me, right here, physically present with us, explaining this passage. I mean, Eric, he, he's doing an okay job, but I really want you to be telling us how to live and how to explain this. Anybody? I mean, let's get honest here, right? Not very many of you are getting honest here because I've had this thought. I've read this passage and I was like, what? No, I don't think so. You know, like I would rather have Jesus in person, in the flesh, next to me, telling me what to do next, explaining how I'm going to do things. I, would, I mean, that's just like, if I'm getting honest, when I read this text the first time, I was like, is, is, am I reading this right But let's unpack this. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying this is best for you. Why? Well, remember, Jesus is in the flesh at this time. He's incarnate. He took on flesh. The Word became flesh. The Son of God took on flesh. And Jesus has been teaching and healing and doing all these things. Now, let's just bring this point home in this way. Who's a group of people that have been intimately walking with Jesus and will reject him, the disciples. Let's take it a step further. Who's been around Jesus for the last three years of his ministry? Not one of his followers, but has been hearing him teach and proclaim the kingdom of God, has been healing and making known, bringing signs and wonders And yet they've been plotting all along Jesus's death, the Pharisees. They had Jesus in the flesh saying the very words that we're reading in here, seeing signs and miracles and wonders that there was no explanation. And yet what did they do? They rejected him and they planned his death. And so you see, when that starts to make it hit home a little bit, because what do we actually need is inward transformation of what Ezekiel 36 was talking about. We need our hearts of stone to become hearts of flesh, and we actually need the renewal of our mind to actually think clearly. We actually need someone internally to advocate for us, someone to counsel and comfort us, someone who is not only with us, but in us who knows our desires and motivations and transforms them from the inside out. When Jesus is talking to his Pharise- the Pharisees, what does he say? You guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside is what? Death and decay. What is he saying to them? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. He's talking about internal work that needs to happen in these people so that externally you start to see the work presence. So Jesus is very clearly saying to us that if I am with you, I'm going to be in my physical body. Jesus, after the resurrection, he comes to the disciples and he is what? In he has a body. He can't be in us. He can only be where? One place at a time in his physical body. That is why I think Jesus is talking about uh, being uh, being with him, it, it, we actually need someone to be in us. That heart change comes from the inside out. So I want you to think about this, that it's for our good and for our advantage. Because I think the, the work, when we start to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, we understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us, I want to put into practice a little bit of what we uh, talked about just a second ago. The life that Jesus calls us to is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Think about what Jesus calls you to. He calls you to love your enemies. He calls you to love your neighbor. Not just love your neighbor, but to love your neighbor as who? Yourself. He calls you to do these things that are impossible in your own strength. Now this, this, this point has to sink down in us and we have to wrestle with the resistance because the very work of the Holy Spirit is saying that your self-sufficiency, your self-efforts will never be able to get you to the life that God calls you to. And I believe this is why the church has struggled with legalism for so many years. Because what is legalism? Legalism is taking the perfect way and law of God, the commands of God, and reducing it to something that we can achieve in our own strength. So that is why it's so rampant in the church to make a list of rules and things to achieve in your own strength. But the very thing that we need is actually dependence and awareness of the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to empower us to walk in the commands of God in the way that God calls us to live. Because that is the only way we'll experience the life God calls us to. If we settle for our own strength, if we settle for trying to do life in our own, we will be constantly frustrated. That is why if you are sitting in this room and you feel like the Christian life just feels like a list of rules and it feels more like a heavy burden, then this series on the Holy Spirit is for you. Because the Christian life, apart from the Holy Spirit, is not just hard. It is impossible. When I started to understand this for the first time, it made sense of why pulling myself up by my bootstraps and trying harder and reading more and doing more never worked. Until I submitted to actually, I can't do it on my own. I, I need to depend on God. It was an insult to my self-sufficiency. And there's some of us that that's the only way that we've survived our family of origin or upbringing. It was the only person I can rely on is myself. And so if you think about that, this kind of gets to our value, worth, and identity. How many of you have said, well, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. Like I couldn't rely on other people. Like I did this and that's in us. And the work of the Holy Spirit is offensive to our flesh. And it's the very thing that we need the most. It's the very thing that will bring freedom to this life with God. And I hope that we find that together over these next few weeks. So John fifteen five it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But for years I tried. And so that's why the, the work of the Holy Spirit is so important for us to grasp and wrestle with. Let's look at the last uh, passage together. John sixteen twelve through 15. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me and he will, take, he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That is, there is no untruth, there is no error, there is no falsehood in him. The truth in this statement is not the truth in the sense of laws and principles of the universe. The truth is talking about the truth about Jesus, his person, his work and redeeming us. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. And it, it can be translated into like the breath of life, that God is breathing the breath of life. So think about it in this way. He fills our lives and points us to the one who is life himself. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He fills our lives and he points us to the one who is life himself. He makes the truth of God's word real to us to embrace it and apply it in our lives. And importantly, the Spirit has no agenda on his own. He reveals and hears and listens to the Father and the Son, and he describes it in this way. The Spirit Will glorify me. So the Spirit elevates Jesus above Himself. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus did? He submitted to the will of the Father and elevated the will of the Father above what He would even do. So you have this uh, mutual submission, this beautiful picture in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit isn't talking about himself. He's not glorifying himself. He's not revealing himself. The Spirit's work is to make Jesus known, helping us glorify God. This is why I have such great resistance um, to uh, TV preachers, because many times when they're talking about the Spirit, they're usually talking about themselves. Look at the work of our ministry. Look at the that's not the work of the spirit in someone. The spirit is always going to be making known Jesus and elevating Jesus. That's why in 1 Corinthians when it talks about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has willed for you as an individual to have is not for your edification, but for the edification of others. It's for the building up of the church and making Jesus known. So that is why we don't look and boast in our giftings that the Holy Spirit has given us. We say this is for others. That's in line with the character and nature of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? That the Holy Spirit is actually elevating and bringing about who Jesus is. So as the Spirit lives in you, let me be clear on this. If the Spirit lives in you, your purpose is to glorify Christ. He makes him who is our very lives, our very lives. The Spirit exalts Jesus. Jesus. So let's back up and let's look at the nine things that we can review on who the Holy Spirit is. It's this foundational message into this series. Let me bring the band back up, and we're going to conclude in just a minute. So let's go over this. If you list takers, let's uh, let's go over who the Holy Spirit is. The Helper is a person. The Helper is with us and in us. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells us about Jesus, and so do we. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And in the same way that the the Holy Spirit exalts and brings attention to Jesus. Have you noticed that when we sing, we're singing to Jesus. We're singing to the Father. That is the Spirit's work in a believer. So the Spirit's work internally in us says, exalt God, worship God He is your life. So the Spirit's work is actually what motivates us and gives us desire and motivation to sing. So when we sing, we're actually fulfilling in worship. We're actually fulfilling what the Spirit's work is prompting us to do. To say, hey, pay attention to who God is. He's pointing to Jesus. So when we sing together, what are we doing? We're actually letting the Spirit lead us and guide us to the one who is life. And what else are we doing? We're reminding each other of where our life comes from. So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing uh, together. And I want to pray through these nine things See, I believe that what we see in the book of Acts is the very thing that we need. It's not just a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in a cognitive way, but we actually need a new dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. So let's pray and then we'll worship. Let's pray through this. Father, we thank you That you've given us the helper, this advocate, this counselor, this comforter who empowers us, who comes alongside us, but not just alongside us, but is in us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, and Jesus, we thank you for sending the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we we exalt you as, as fully God. Holy Spirit, would you teach us and remind us the very words of Jesus? Spirit, we want to tell others about who Jesus is, his redemptive work, that others can be made right with you and have relationship with you through the work of Jesus. Father, would you help us understand that the Holy Spirit in us is for our good is best. It is for our advantage. Holy Spirit, would you guide us into all truth of who Jesus is, of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you empower us, even in this moment as we sing these songs, would you empower our worship to glorify you more fully. I pray this in your name as your people. So what accounts for the disciples in John 19, hiding in fear, scared and trembling. And then in the book of Acts, you see these men boldly proclaiming who Jesus is. It was the Holy Spirit. And so for us, um, you might be here this morning And you might be unsure of where you stand with God. You might have some insecurity around that. You might be just tired of living this burdened life of trying harder and doing more. And you just feel frustrated. And this morning as we close, I would just invite you just to come up at the end of service and pray uh, with them or come talk to me or just kneel. And this is an opportunity for us as not only individuals, but as a church these next three weeks to really dive into who is the Holy Spirit and what does this mean for my life and for our life as a church. And so if you can, don't miss the next three weeks because this is a foundational message. We're going to get into the application a lot more in the next coming weeks. But I want to read this prayer over you. Would you pray with me? It's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.16. He says this, and I'm going to pray it for us as a church. Let's pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints, with all of the church, And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us to testify about Him in our world. If you have questions about the Holy Spirit that you want us to get to, we're gonna try to do that. You can email Susan Russell, srussell, at fbctn.org. If you have any questions about the Holy Spirit, we'll try to get to those in the the closing uh, weeks. Thank you, and we send you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit.